give us the word tonight. Thank you so much. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Peter. Um, we'll look quickly at chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll jump to chapter 2. Uh, so the theme of this retreat has been uh, wisdom, understanding the world through the lens of the gospel. And we've been looking at some of the most basic and most fundamental realities of life through the gospel. So we've looked at our own hearts through the gospel. We've looked at our, our work uh, through the lens of the gospel. And today... We're going to look at our place, our, our location, our city through the lens of the gospel. And um, am I not doing it right? Okay. All right. There we go. And so the title of my sermon tonight is The Gospel and Our City, or, or The Gospel in Our Life in the Public Square. How are we to live in the public square? Because we all live in a city. I think you all live in Queens. Is that right? Mostly. Well, the church is in Queens. I don't know if you all live in Queens, but you guys all probably need, live in or near Queens. And so Queens is probably the city that ought to be coming to mind as I preach uh, the sermon. First uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, before I read our text today, which is actually chapter 2, verses uh, 13 through uh, 17, I want to look at verse 1 real quickly. It says this, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, pause. Elect exiles. This is probably the main theme of 1 Peter, that the church is the community of elect exiles. I love that oxymoron. I love that paradox because it captures so clearly and so beautifully who we are, right? We're elect exiles. On the one hand, we're elect. In relation to God, we're elect. We are God's chosen and precious and beloved children. In relation to God, we're elect. But in relation to the world, we're exiles. That's why the world mistreats us and maligns us. In the world, we're strangers, we're pilgrims. This world will never be our home. Heaven is our home. This world, we're just passing through. And we're uh, resident aliens, if you will. We're exiles in this world. And and that captures so beautifully uh, who we are as Christians, as Christ followers. We're elect, but we're exiles. And 1 Peter is really just an unpacking of that theme for us. Uh, so we're going to look out at verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And remember, Peter's writing to elect exiles. So keep that in mind. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So as Christ followers, we are exiles in this world. Again, that means that this world is never going to be our home. We're strangers and we're pilgrims here. But even though this world is not our home, we do live in this world, right? And how we live in this world matters. It matters a lot. And so in our text, uh, Peter tells Christ followers how they are to live in the city, how they're to live in the public square. Now, Jesus said that we're not of the world, but that we're to live in the world. In other words, when we follow Jesus, 
We don't go off and live in the mountains, separated from culture, apart from society. That's not what Jesus calls us to, right? Rather, we follow Jesus in the city. We follow Jesus in the public square. We're to be salt and light in the city, in the public square. That means that we don't exit the culture, but we engage the culture. We don't leave the city, but we're to live in the city. And in our text today, Peter gives Christ followers instructions on how they're to live in the city, on how they're to live in the public square. And it's interesting. Look with me at verse 16. Peter talks about Christ followers living in the public square, living in the city as servants of God. As servants of God. Now, many of us think that um, when we hear the term living as a servant of God, we tend to think of that as happening only inside the walls of the church. We tend to think about living as a servant of God by serving on the praise team or serving as a Sunday school teacher or being on the missions committee. But it's something to do with in the church and for the church. That's what we tend to think about when we think of ourselves as servants of God, right? It's something uh, to be done in the church and for the church almost exclusively for the church. But for Peter, he envisioned Christ followers living as servants of God outside the walls of the church as they participated in the life of their community and of their city. That means, friends, that living as servants of God involves more than what you do on Sundays at church for other Christians, as important as that is. Okay? It also involves what you do in your community and in your cities, during the rest of the week, even for your non-Christian friends. You see, when you follow Jesus, you are to live as servants of God, not only for your church, but also for your city. And this is at the heart of what I'm going to say tonight. You are called to be a servant of God, not just for your church, but also for your city. You see, you're not just servants of your church. You're servants of your community. You're servants of your neighborhood. You're servants of your city. And here's the crazy part. As Christ followers, we're called to love and serve the community that will treat us as exiles, right? They don't like us. We're treated as exiles, and yet we're called to love the very city that won't love us back. And that's what the gospel does, right? The very city that hates us and even slanders us and and treats us as evildoers, and yet we're to love the city. So today we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus as servants of God in the public square in the city. Three things about what service to God in the city uh, looks like. So three things. First, the practices of service. Second, the purpose of service. And third, the power for service. So the practices of service, the purpose of service, and the power for service. So what are the practices of service to God in the public square. What do servants of God do in their communities and in their cities? Well, according to our text, you do four things. First, you submit to the government. Second, you do good. Third, you honor everyone. And fourth, you honor the president and other elected uh, governing officials. First, according to verses 13 and 14, you are to submit to the government. When Peter wrote this letter, do you know who was in charge? It was Emperor Nero. Now, Nero was infamous for persecuting Christians. Nero was not only a cruel leader, but he was an incompetent leader. There was no one that deserved less respect as emperor than Nero. 
And yet, if Peter can command the church to submit to the government of Nero, then we can certainly submit to our governing officials and leaders, no matter what we think about them. Now, according to verse 14, the basic God-ordained rule of government is to provide justice by enacting just laws and by enforcing them, right? And they do that by punishing evildoers or punishing lawbreakers and by praising those who do good, those who are law keepers. So the primary work of government is to maintain law and order in society by punishing actions and behavior that promote injustice and chaos and disorder and by praising actions and behaviors that promote justice and order. And as servants of God, as Christ followers, we're to submit to the government. Now that means that we're to obey all the laws of the land, traffic laws, civil laws, and all the other laws that maintain and promote uh, justice, order, and peace in society. That also means, friends, that we're to pay our taxes, we're to exercise all of our civic duties and responsibilities as we do our part to help build and strengthen the communities and the cities in which we're called to live. Another practical application. When you get that notice for jury duty, don't try to find an excuse to get out of it. Exercise your civic responsibilities. To be a servant of God in the public square means that you're going to be a good and contributing citizen of your neighborhood, your community, and your city, of your state, and even of our nation. And we're to submit to the government and to obey its laws, again, not out of fear of the government, but out of fear of God. And for the Lord's sake, it says in verse 13. You see, we submit to the government because we reverence God in our hearts. We submit to the government because we want to obey our Lord Jesus Christ. Our submission to earthly government is an expression of our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? You submit to your government and your governing officials not because you respect them, not because you think that they're worthy of respect, but because you want to obey Jesus, because Jesus commands you to submit to government. So as servants of God, we are to ordinarily and usually submit to the laws of the government as laws are meant to restrain evil and to reinforce good as they're intended to promote an orderly life together as a society of people. But you may be thinking, but Pastor Owen, what do you do when the government enacts and enforces a law that is immoral and unjust? A law that clearly violates the will of God, as revealed in Scripture. A law that promotes injustice rather than justice. Now, in those cases, we must obey God rather than men because we're called to be servants of God and not servants of men. Um, Peter himself, the apostle, wrote this, did this very thing. You know, in Acts chapter 5, Peter was commanded by the ruling authorities to not preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was commanded not to preach the gospel. And, but he said in that situation, we must obey God rather than men. And Peter kept on preaching the gospel. Peter disobeyed the governing civil authorities because that law was an immoral and unjust law. And they punished Peter for his civil disobedience by physically beating him. But Peter rejoiced that he was counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And he kept on teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ and that he was indeed raised from the dead. You see, Peter disobeyed unjust and immoral laws of the government. And he was willing to suffer the consequences of his disobedience because he had to obey God rather than men. So here's the general principle. We obey all the laws of our government insofar as they do not cause us 
to disobey God. Does that make sense? So, speeding a law, 55 miles per hour, is there anything in Scripture that goes against that? No. And so you obey that law. The drinking age is 21. We obey these laws. We obey all the laws of the land insofar as those laws do not cause us to disobey God or to sin against God. So again, ordinarily and most of the time, we obey, we obey the laws of the government uh, that promote justice and peace and order in our society. But as servants of God, we must always be ready to rebel, ready to say no in the face of an immoral and unjust command because we must obey God rather than men. Now, for example, I've thought about this, and this, this uh, may happen in the near future. If the government should ever make it illegal for churches to teach the biblical definition of marriage or the, uh, the biblical vision of sexuality, then uh, condemning it as hate speech, then that is a law that I, as a minister of the gospel, must disobey. And I, along with my church, must be willing to suffer the consequences of that civil disobedience. You see, we must obey God rather than men, and that means that there may come a time, right, that we must practice civil disobedience and be willing to suffer the consequences of that civil disobedience because it is more important to obey God rather than men. And should we ever need to practice civil disobedience in the face of an unjust law, we must do so peaceably and respectfully. Our civil disobedience and protest must not be done in a way that harms people or property, such as rioting or looting. That is never the proper way to practice civil disobedience. Nonviolent and peaceful protests are the means by which we address an unjust situation. Where there is injustice, we must seek to remedy it, and we must seek to do so as Christ followers and in a Christ-honoring way. That's really, really important. Even when we practice civil disobedience, it has to be in a way that honors Christ in a peaceful, nonviolent way. Now, Martin Luther King's, uh, his protests against racism and segregation were a great example of civil disobedience done the right way. He and his supporters ignored some laws, like the laws about who sits where on a bus or who drinks what from, uh, from which a water fountain. Their rallies were attended by multitudes of people, but the protests were nonviolent and peaceful. Think about this. They respected the authorities even as they opposed them. We were to respect the very authorities as we oppose them. And that's what Christ-honoring civil disobedience looks like. So the first thing we're to do as servants of God in the public square in the city is to submit to the government. Second, according to verses 15 and 16, we are to do good. We are to use our freedom in Christ to do good and not as a cover-up for evil. You see, the freedom that Peter is talking about is not the freedom to do whatever you want. Rather, it's the freedom to do whatever God wants you to do. It is a freedom unto obedience. It is not a freedom, it is not a license to sin, but it's a freedom to actually now obey God, serve God, and love your neighbor. You see, before we were born again through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were all slaves to sin. We were enslaved to sin. All we could ever do um, was sin. Now, even though... um, I'm not saying that unregenerate people cannot do good things. Uh, in society, they can. But before we're born again, whatever we did, we weren't doing it for God's glory. We weren't doing it in obedience for God's word. And we weren't motivated out of love for God. So even acts that might be uh, civilly considered good was actually sin. But now that we have been regenerated and redeemed by the power of the gospel, we are now actually free for the first time 
to do good, to do work that honors God, to do work that loves our neighbors. So in other words, the gospel has now set us free in Christ to do good. And as servants of God, we're called to do good. Now this is really important. To do good not just for your church, but also for your neighborhood. To do good not just for your family, but the community in which your family lives. To do good not just for your tribe, but to do good for your city. Like the Israelites who were in exile in Babylon, we are to seek the peace and the welfare of our city, where God has sent us into exile. We're to pray to the Lord for the peace and welfare of our cities. Do you know what that means? That we're to seek the peace and the flourishing. For you guys, you're to seek the peace and the flourishing of Queens. You're to seek the common good of everyone who lives in Queens, not just believers, but for everyone who's created in the image of God, Christians and non-Christians alike. As servants of God, we don't just want our church to flourish, we want our city to flourish. And I'm sure you've heard that theme around here, especially you guys are in such close proximity to Redeemer Church, and because this is a very a big drum that they keep on the, uh, beating. You see, you don't want to build just a great church. You want to build a great city. And your church is one of the ways that a great city is built. To live as a servant of God in the public square means to live as a good citizen as we fulfill our civic duties and as we do good in our communities and our, and our city. In fact, servants of God ought to be the best citizens in their city. The citizens who love their city the best and who do the most good in their cities. Now, this is what I tell my church in Virginia all the time. Christ Central is not just a church in Centerville, but we're a church for Centerville. You see? We want to be a church that actually makes Centerville a better place to live for everyone. We don't want to be a church that just uses Centerville because Centerville was cheap and we could buy a lot of land there and build a huge building, right? We don't want to be the kind of church where people just drive in on Sundays, worship there, and then drive out when we care nothing about Centerville. We don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that actually makes Centerville, our neighbors in Centerville, we make that city a better place to live for everyone. And so we're very committed to mercy ministry. Uh, every uh, holiday weekends, uh, during Thanksgiving and Christmas and during Easter, we are very active about loving our neighbors in word and deed. Because, I always say this, you know, should God, for whatever reason, take our church out of Centerville, would our city even notice or would they just be relieved that the parking situation and the traffic situation on Lee Highway is alleviated? But would they actually miss us? You know, I tell our church, you know, Centerville may be pleased that our crazy religious ideas are gone, but may they mourn the loss of our good works. May they mourn the loss of our good deeds. May they feel like their citizens are served Less because we're not there. That the community is not a good a place to live because we're not there. Because we're committed to the flourishing, to the peace, and to the welfare of our city. That's the kind of church I believe that God is calling our church to be. And I believe that's the kind of church that God is calling your church to be. That Queens would be a better place to live because new creation fellowship is here. Because you're loving the poor. You're serving the poor. You're, you're, you're making it a, a more just and fair place to live for everyone. That's what it means to be a church that does good in your city, right? Now, 
Here's another practical application. In order to serve our community and our city more, some of you, if you're like the people in my church, you need to be in your church less, right? You can't do any good in your city, in your community, if you're hardly ever in your city or community, right? Some of you spend too much time at church. I mean, you're at church on Wednesday night for praise practice. You're at church on Friday night for Bible study. You're at church. I mean, some people at our church are at church like four or five days a week. And sometimes they don't come to church anymore, man. Be where you are. Be involved in your community. Instead of coming to a Bible study, go to an HOA meeting. Instead of meeting new people at church, meet your next-door neighbor. Instead of teaching Sunday school, coach youth sports. Be involved in your community. Get to know the You have to be in your community to be able to do good for your community. And some of us, I think especially the second generation Asian American church, we're really, really bad at that, right? And um, so whatever it is, get involved, participate in the life of your community, your city, and seek to do good. Seek to bring truth, justice, and goodness to your community. That's what it looks like to be a servant of God. Now, why do I press this? Because I believe uh, your story is probably very similar to mine. I know that for those of us who grew up in the immigrant church, this is new, and this is challenging. Um, for example, I'm second gender. I was born uh, in the States. My, my parents immigrated in 1970, and I was born here in 1971. And growing up in the immigrant church, I was basically taught two things. You may resonate with this. Study hard at school, get good grades, right? And then get really involved in church. Those are the two things that I was taught. And those are the two things I did. I studied hard. I got good grades. And then on the weekends, it was all about church. And, you know, I was involved in the youth group, and I got involved. And, and that's all I did. And I was never even taught to think about the community where the church was located. And, in fact, our parents, because of cultural and linguistic challenges, they were never able to model for us, Right? what it looked like to be an active, uh, uh, participating citizen of the community. They couldn't model it to us. They never taught it to us. So we, I basically grew up thinking, as long as I cared about my studies, as long as I cared about other Christians, I'm doing just fine. But now, for us, as, as we're born here and, and we can speak English fluently, that has to change. Let me ask you, do you know the people that live around the block of your church building? Do you care about them? Or do you only care about that block because that's where your physical church building is? And as long as your building is up and it's running fine, you have no care that the other buildings around that building are falling apart. Is that where your heart is? Sadly, for a lot of immigrant churches, that's where our hearts are. As long as we're doing okay, we don't care about the surrounding neighborhood or community. But as servants of God in the city, we can't think like that. You see, friends... I believe that you serve the church because you genuinely see yourself as servants of God in the church. But we don't serve the city because we don't see ourselves yet, or we don't actually believe that we're servants of God also in the city. And tonight, that's where I want to challenge you. You're called to be servants, not just of your church. I know you guys do that. Some of you guys are leaving early tonight so you can go and serve at church tomorrow, right? But you're also called to be servants of your city. Servant of Queens servant of New York City. And this is where I want to stretch you and challenge you because that's what it means to live as a servant of God 
in the city, right? May New Creation Fellowship, uh, New Creation Fellowship, may you be a community of servants, not just for your church, but also for the block where your church is located, for the neighborhood where your church is located, for the community where your church is located, for the city where your church is located and where you live, right? So, uh, to live as a servant of God in the public square means, one, to submit to the government, and second, to do good in your community, to do good in your city. Third, it also means to honor everyone, verse 17. As Christ followers, we're to, uh, we are to uh, not disdain or despise anyone, for every human being is created in the image of God. You see, no matter how deeply you disagree with someone's beliefs and behaviors, you are called to show them honor, kindness, and respect. Let me break this down. That person that doesn't agree with your view on marriage, you may disagree with them vehemently, but you're still to honor them and respect them. To that person who doesn't think that abortion is a sin or murder, and you have very, very strident, differing opinions on what abortion is, you are still to honor them, right? And to the person whose politics that you vehemently are opposed to, you are to honor them. You see, there's a difference between agreeing and honoring. You can honor people that you disagree with, just like you can love people that you disagree with. As servants of God, we're called to honor everyone because every human being is created in the image of God. As C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. So remember, think about this. It is very easy, and it's the cop-out when you demonize the person that you disagree with. Do not demonize people you disagree with. You can honor people that you disagree with. You can actually love them. In fact, you'll never persuade anyone to your side by hating them or, or, or lambasting them. I've never seen anyone converted through shaming. Right? It's always in the context of kindness, love, and respect. So, uh, to live as a servant of God in the public square means to submit to the government. Second, it means to, to do good in the city and for the city. Third, it means to honor everyone. Fourth, we're to honor the president and other government officials, verse 17. Now, we don't have an emperor in America, but we do have a president, and we have elected officials and leaders, and we are to honor them. That means that you may disagree with the president's politics, but you are to honor his position. Now, I don't know what you think about Obama. Maybe you love him. Maybe you hate him. I don't know. But I do know this. You are to honor him, whether you agree or not with him. And if persecuted Christians can honor the Emperor Nero, then we can honor anyone, no matter what the president is like. Now, the, president, uh, the presidential elections are coming up, and the race is getting crazy, right? Especially among the GOP candidates are just going after one another. Now, I'm going to say this. I might offend some of you, but you know, I'm going to take the risk. Uh, Donald Trump. Does anyone like him here? Maybe. If you do, I'm so sorry. I, I think he's a, he's a jackass, um, but that's my opinion. But should even Donald Trump, God forbid, <laughs> become president of the United States? As much as I disrespect him, and personally I disagree with his politics and his attitudes, I would still, I'm still called to honor him, right? 
Now, part of being a good citizen means that you're going to study the candidates and you're going to vote for the candidates you believe will do the job best. And by the way, please vote. Okay? <laughs> That's part of what it means to be a servant of God, right? Uh, vote. You know, get yourself registered and start voting. Uh, you know, too many of us are too disengaged and passive in the political process. Now, I'm never going to tell anyone who I vote for. I just told you who I'm not voting for. Uh, but as a pastor, you know, I don't let my people know whether I lean Democrat or Republican because I don't want to unnecessarily alienate people over political lines in the church. But I do believe it is every Christian's responsibility to vote because that would, that's what it means to be a good citizen um, of the state. But after you vote, your candidate may become the president or your candidate may not become the president. And whether you personally dislike or like the candidate, whoever God has ordained to be the next president of our country, you as servants of God are called to honor him and to pray for him. It is never becoming when Christians just protest. Instead of protesting, let's pray. Let's honor and show respect and kindness. That's what servants of God are called to do. In the city, right? That's part of what he tells us to do right here in our text. So remember that when the next president is elected and installed into office. And again, I'm praying that's not Donald Trump, all right? Sorry, I like you. But uh, see, look, I disagree with you, but I still like you. Right? I can honor you. I can respect you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm not kidding about the respect part, all right? Goodness gracious. I mean, you got the best beard ever I've ever seen on the Asian. I'm like, I have beard envy right now. Uh, I wish I could do that. So those are the practices of service to God in the public square. We're to submit to the government. We're to do good. We're to honor everyone. And we're to honor the president and our governing officials. Second, let's talk about the purpose of our service. Now, there are many purposes to service, such as loving God and loving our neighbors. But in our text, Peter highlights another purpose for serving God in the public square. In verse 15, Peter says that we are to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. We silence the um, ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Now the world may revile us and slander us for what we believe, but we answer them and we silence them by doing good, by loving now, between uh, 250 and 270 A.D., a terrible plague devastated the Roman Empire. It's believed uh, to have been measles or smallpox. And at the height of the plague, 5,000 people died every day in the city of Rome itself alone. The plague also coincided with the first empire-wide persecution of Christians under the emperor Decius. And not surprisingly, Decius and other enemies of the church blamed Christians for the plague. Right? Christians, it's your fault that the plague has come. But that was uh, refuted by two inconvenient truths. First, Christians died of the plague too. It's not like the Christians were spared, right? and it was just non-Christians who died. So Christians died of the plague too. But secondly, and more importantly, unlike everyone else, they cared for the victims of the plague, including their pagan neighbors. You see, at that time, everyone fled from the cities even the doctors, but guess who stayed and cared for the sick? It was Christians. Dr. Moss, a professor of New Testament and early Christianity at Notre Dame, notes that an epidemic that seemed like the end of the world actually promoted the spread of Christianity. Why? 
because by their actions, in the face of possible death, Christians showed their neighbors that Christianity was worth dying for. Christianity still prompts people today to run toward the plague, to take care of the sick when everyone else runs away in self-protection. Do you remember the uh, Ebola, um, Ebola epidemic in West Africa? You remember that? Just a few years ago? It was Christian missionaries who stayed and cared for the sick, even at personal risk and cost of themselves. And as you know, one of the Christian doctors himself contracted Ebola, right? Because he stayed and cared for the sick. And even now, Christians today are using their own resources to run to the help of Syrian refugees. You see, Christians don't just take care of their own. They take care of everyone else, even if they're not believers. And when they do that, that silences the critics of Christianity. Emperor Julian, in the late 4th century, upon seeing Christians care for people, said this, The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. When Christians do that, when Christians love that well and do that much good, it silences the ignorance of foolish people. You see, as servants of God, we silence our critics, not by arguing, not by fighting back, not by holding up signs of protest and anger, but by loving them, by doing good, and by showing honor and kindness and respect. So we've talked about the practices of service to God, and we've talked about the purpose of that service. Lastly, and most importantly, let's talk about the power for the service. Power. Where do we get the power to serve like this? Where do we get the power to live like this as servants of God in a city that treats us like exiles? In a city that would malign us and mistreat us, and yet we're to not only turn the other cheek, but we're to do good to the very people that would slander us and, and, and mistreat us. Where do we get the power to do something that radical, something that crazy? We get the power to do that because we do them for the Lord's sake. Verse 13. We are to live as servants of God and to do these things for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the one who first served us. You see, our Lord Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, before you can serve God joyfully and willingly, you must first see that God first served you in Jesus. Before we can be servants of God, we must first see that we are the served ones of God. Does that make sense? Before you can see yourself as a servant of God, you first have to see that you've been served by God in Christ. And because Jesus first served us, we are now free to serve God. Because our Lord Jesus submitted to the governor Pilate for us and for our salvation, we are now free to submit to our governors for the Lord's sake. Because our Lord Jesus did good to us, even when we didn't deserve any good, even at the cost of his own life, we are now free to do good unto others for the Lord's sake. And because Jesus honored us when we should have been put to shame, when we should have been put to death, and yet Jesus honored us instead, we can now honor everyone for the Lord's sake. You see, the power to live as a servant of God comes from seeing that the Lord Jesus humbled himself and became a servant for you because he loves you. And when you see that, you'll begin to want to be a servant of his because you love him. And because you love him and for the Lord's sake, you will gladly live your lives out of gratitude not out of guilt, but out of gratitude 
for the one who first served you. Therefore, you begin to want to serve him in the city and in the public square. So what? What's the takeaway tonight? Simply this. Tonight, if you are a follower of Jesus, then I want to I want, I want to challenge you to commit yourselves to living as servants of God, not just for your church, but also for your city. I don't want you to exit from the culture and run into the church, which so many Christians do. Now you have the freedom in Christ to run out of the church and into your city and to love your city and to serve your city. Spend more time in your community and less time in your community groups. Spend more time in your city and less in your church because you're called to serve God both in your church and in your city. Friends, here's the irony of the gospel. Following Jesus makes us exiles in the world, and that means that this world will never be our home. But at the very same time, following Jesus makes us servants of God, and that means that we ought to be the best citizens of the community where we don't find our home. Isn't that crazy? We actually love our cities better than those who actually belong to our cities, even though we don't. Our cities are not our home. But we work to make the cities home for everyone. That's what we're called to do as servants of God. That's the ironic, beautiful thing that the gospel does in the lives of Christ's followers. May New Creation Fellowship be a community of servants of God that seek the peace and the welfare of Queens and New York City as you submit to your government, as you do good for everyone, as you honor everyone, and as you honor the president and your uh, respective leaders. And by doing so, may New York and Queens be a better place to live for everyone, not just for your kids, but for everyone. And may New Creation Fellowship silence your critics by the good that you do and by the quality of your life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I know that what we've heard and studied tonight from your word is anew, and it's challenging, and it's uncomfortable. I know it was for me, Father, as I wrestled with this text. Um, to be honest, we, it's easy to hide in the church and to serve your church. Um, it's kind of scary to go out into the city and to rub elbows and to rub shoulders with those uh, who don't like you and who don't like us, and yet we're called to love them and to serve them. I pray that New Creation Fellowship would be a community of elect exiles. Elect, they know that they're loved by you. They know that they're chosen and precious to you as sons and daughters of God, and yet they also know that they're exiles in this world who don't belong to this world, who are strangers in this world, and yet as exiles in this world, may they do good for the world in which they do not find their homes so that they might live out their calling as servants of God, both in the church and also in the city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, let's just rise for a time of uh, response. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory
glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior. Day long, perfect submission, perfect submission. All is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting. Looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. All the day long. 